Here we are, January 31st, 2016, lecture discussion number 228 on the book of Romans. And uh, as is our custom, if you were here last week on the other side of the reversible platinum model, most holy dry erase board uh, is this list on the bronze serpent, and we've got uh, to complete that. And it's a long list, and I'll flip it over here eventually today. I've got other things to do first, but most of you have noticed long ago that I never uh, actually finish any of my lists, do I? I, uh, I am merely a list maker. Emphasis intentionally on the making. I'm a compiler of lists. Never, not once in my so-called career have I ever finished a list. And that is by design. I never even have suggested that I was a list finisher. See, I see my job as the one who composes the list. And that means that I'm leaving the easy part to you. Believe it or not, I actually think that's the case. Being able to figure out what the pieces are is a very important part of Bible study. And, and as you know, upon occasion, I complete some of the items, usually accidentally. Anyway, before we return to our bronze serpent list, which is on the back of this board, I thought I would read an Internet letter because I've been getting quite a few of them. It appears that uh, Lot's wife is very interesting to people all over the in the vast Internet audience and uh, I've been getting quite a few, and I thought I would read one of them today for you and see if I can satisfactorily uh, provide an answer to a question that reoccurs whenever I bring up Lot's wife. I first ran into it in 1989. It was told, uh, I got a book, by the way, at the same time, Henry Morris. It's called the Henry Morris Speculation with Respect to Lot's Wife. I know it happened in 1989 because that's when I read his commentary. Um, he signed it, and and I have it. And it says Henry Morris, 1989. And so I began to look at his particular concerns about uh, Lot's wife. Dr. Morris is a theological giant. Notice how I use the present tense, even though he passed away, I think. My goodness, it might be ten years. If that's an earthquake... I'm, I'm hearing something. We get out of this auditorium. Do not stay in this auditorium. These beams are mush. If that's a truck passing by, relax. But, uh, after a few weeks ago, what, what's it been? Oh, Ten days ago, that thing hits here, we're gone. Do not stay in this auditorium unless you can lift that beam. Because you're going to find it coming down on us. Run. The person you see flying by you, that will be me. I'm very experienced in these earthquakes. You might want to grab some chicken on the way out the door. Okay. Dr. Morris is a theological giant, present tense, even though he has passed uh, physically. He was a faithful servant who left behind a great legacy. Don't want to diminish it. Uh, So... When I'm dealing with anything Dr. Morris says, I utilize him constantly. So great reverence is, uh, he has deserved it for what he, ha- what he did. Okay, let me read the re- letter. It's from Rand in Illinois, who, by the way, sent me a box containing honey uh, products. He has a farm in Illinois. As you know, the lovely Lori is from Illinois. And so she very, Axton, Illinois, Rand, I'll let you know. So she very quickly confiscated my present, as she often does. And I know many of you are murmuring your thing and whispering. You always do. Uh, you always whisper when I read an Internet letter into the record. And the question's the same. Does he always read the letters that come with presents? That's what you want to know. And my response is, how shallow do you think I am? Don't answer that. Are you proposing that I can be bribed? You would be right. Here's proof of it again, of course. I like bribes, especially pizza, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Cheez-Its. I have a very low threshold. Anyway, here's Rand's uh, letter. I, I won't read his full name because why? He would get hate mail. That's right. So we don't want that to happen. Dear Mr. Cronister, 
please enjoy the honey gift box. I am a beekeeper and can assure you that this honey came from the hives in my backyard and was never near a lion carcass. You'd have to know that's a Samson reference and an Antichrist reference and is very funny. So, I have been enjoying your recent series of lectures regarding Lot's wife. Ha! Proof! Somebody's... He's the one. My question is this. Why didn't Lot's wife cook the feast for the two angels? Abraham's wife cooked for Jesus and his angels when they visited Abraham at his tent. I'm going to add this part. Lot's wife might not have. That's the question. That's called the Henry Morris speculation, by the way, with regard to Lot's wife. There are some people, I'm back to the letter, there are some people in our day that make a big deal of this and imply that this is a role reversal or that somehow either Lot or his wife is in the wrong because Lot's wife didn't do the cooking. This has got me stumped. As far as I can tell, Sarah had to cook because Abraham needed to visit his herd to select a tender calf. Do you have an answer for why Lot made the feast? Yes, I do. By the way, of course, duh. I can't be offended by people who send me presents, though. Thanks for, (laughs) excuse me, thank you. Or thank for you, oh, thanks for your efforts in preparing your sermons and making them available on the internet. Sincerely, Rand in Illinois. Well, Rand, I appreciate the letter. Uh, I think it is valuable to deal with this, and I'm glad you brought it up. I intentionally did not because I just didn't want to bog down on it, knowing it would take me at least two sermons to do it, and I thought I'd better move on from Lot's wife. But, I've not only gotten a letter from Rand, but I've gotten quite a few others um, as well. Let me just say this again. If you're going to take this Lot's wife material and go to your pastor, you folks out there on the Internet, it is not going to be well received. Because there is a dynamic in play here, and I'll explain it in a minute. Uh, so uh, Rand, I don't think, did that, but uh, I do know of uh, a couple that have, and and typically, it, uh, when you bring these kinds of questions into the traditional view of Lot's wife, prepare for resistance and be very careful. Uh, Dana has tried to do similar things, and he's learned that there, there's just a certain way to accomplish this. And I, we've been laughing about it for the last couple of weeks. Okay. As I said just a minute ago, this is the Henry Morris question, if you will. Dr. Morris thought that perhaps Lot's wife didn't prepare the feast because she did not welcome the angels, the two angels that came with, that came into Sodom. And notice how I said that. Essentially, I began uh, my, my answer by asking the most obvious of the obvious questions. I said she didn't recognize or she didn't welcome two angels, which implies what? Let me ask it another way. Did Abraham and Lot and Lot's wife know that these were two angels? Did they know that? Did Lot know that they were coming to Sodom? Did he know ahead of time they were coming to Sodom? How would he know that? Was Lot specifically waiting for the two angels? But I'm getting ahead of myself again, which I always do. So let's back up a little bit. You see, if one accepts the premise that Lot's wife does not welcome two angels, what, by the way, just quickly mathematically, what are the mathematical chances that Lot's wife did not welcome into her house Two angels. But if you accept that a premise, that she does not welcome the two angels who accompanied God himself, Christ himself, well then, the ones who have that premise, who believe that, they will say Lot's wife must be evil. She rejected the two angels, or she rejected the two men because she didn't want anything to do with them. And therefore, she should be condemned, they will say. This is proof, they usually scream at me. Lot's wife didn't prepare the feast, and Sarah did. 
Lot's wife didn't, Sarah did. That's the, the hypothesis. Lot's wife, therefore, is cast into the lake of fire. because She didn't cook the meal. Let that be a lesson to you women in the audience. I think that's sound doctrine right there. We could probably shut down right now. Go with that lesson, huh? <laughs> and usually I get it. They, they really do. I, I, seriously, I've had quite a few people tell me Sarah made the meal and Lot's wife didn't make the meal. And Lot's wife is, is cast in the lake of fire. And, and you will be also if you don't give me more money. That's ultimately where it goes. It's always the same pattern. And I might be a teensy bit dramatic by adding that last part. But in my defense, the Lot's wife is eternally damned advocates. They're passionate people, and they're angrily certain that their view is correct. And if you try to reason with them, you're going to face that anger. And I want you to be aware of that. I want everybody who looks at it uh, uh, correctly. (laughs) Never mind. I want everybody who looks at it uh, the way the Bible teaches it. Boy, is that going to get me in trouble. I want everybody who does not accept the traditional view to realize that it is passionately held and angrily defended. And that makes me what? That's right, I'm suspicious. And usually it is this view is used to, to frighten, utilized to frighten uh, con- their congregants, and it's the same old gatekeeping nonsense. It's people setting themselves up as the arbiters of salvation. Listen, if somebody will declare Lot's wife as condemned for not making a meal, what will they do to me? That was my first response. What will they do to you? It seems silly, doesn't it? But listen to me. This is what goes on with around in the context of Lot's wife. It's why it's such an important topic, besides the fact that it is clearly uh, has something to do with the taking of the bride. But uh, anyone that will declare the saved from the unsaved needs to be carefully watched, I guess. Again, that makes me suspicious. Why do you want to be the arbiter of the salvation, or the arbiter of salvation? I'm immediately suspect. I know, by the way, I've seen the passages, I know who separates the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the tares, and it ain't some guy standing at a pulpit. So you run into a church where somebody tells you these are the saved and these are the unsaved and he has determined based on some particular scripture or passage, uh, be careful of him. Throw chairs and run. Anyway, look at the facts. See if we can dissolve uh, the concerns. I can't read it all. It's too much time. By the way, I thought I'd, I'd cover it in about 15, 20 minutes. I wrote 11 pages. I, there's no way, and so I know I'm not even going to get it done today. I'm going to have to come back later, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's just try to see if we can get enough of it to where Rand will send me more honey. That's kind of my plan. <laughs> and and what will happen if Rand does that? It's a beautiful boxes. He has a wonderful uh, Internet site, and it's really nice and and Lori just stole all of it. And if he sends more, Lori will steal that too. It's just how it works in my life. So, let's just go to uh, Genesis 18 and see what we can do. I'll read a little bit of it. I can't read all of it. Uh, just follow along a little bit. You can read it while I keep blasting away. But here we are, 18.1. Then the Lord appeared to him. The him in this, of course, is Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terabyte tree of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, this is a behold, so something amazing is going to come next. Three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. So imagine the scene. He sees three persons and he runs. And he is moving. And he bows himself face down on the ground. My Lord, he says to them, your servant, my, he says, don't pass me by. Please, back to verse 4, please let a little water be brought 
and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. Actually, the word is comfort your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make three measures of fine meal, woman. Okay, I have that part. Make three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And the old King James says, on the heart. And I believe that's correct. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. His, then they said to him, where is Sarah? Your wife. Okay? So let's recap this here, make sure I don't get ahead of myself. Okay. Let's uh, put this on the board. So first, Abraham saw, saw three persons. One of them was the Lord God of all creation. So he saw the Lord God Almighty and two of his angels, and he ran. He didn't saunter over. He ran. And he bowed. Face to the ground. And then he wants to know, and he tells them, if I have found favor, what's that mean? If you like me. What's the, uh, what's the contrast to that? What, what he says to them, let me read it for you again. If I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. So what is the evidence that he has found favor? They don't pass by. So if I have found favor, not pass by. Do not pass by your servant. And Abraham brings water. Why does he bring water? Foot washing. Now, what do we have to do to figure out what foot washing really means to God? We gotta go to the New Testament, right? But he brings, then he brings them this morsel, morsel of bread. So that they could comfort their hearts. That bread is comforting. And they say to Abraham, do as you have said. So Abraham hurries to Sarah. And what's Sarah do? What's her job? She makes three cakes. Fine meal. What does that remind you of? She's making three cakes of fine meal. Needs it. Then he runs to his herd. So he's running again. And what's he do? He picks out a calf. What's he do with the calf? I know my writing's really bad. What's he do with the calf? Gives it to who? A young man. Who rushes to prepare it. Notice again how fast Abraham is moving. The young man is moving fast. Why are they running and hurrying so quickly? What's this urgency? Abraham gives to God and his two angels butter and milk and the calf. And then he stands by. So for M-N-O-P-Q, butter and milk. Or if you will, buttermilk. Okay, I'm being funny. 
And then he stands by a tree. The final thing is, in, is where is Sarah? And he says she's in the tent, essentially. So you got all of that? Let me repeat it. Saw the Lord God and the two angels, ran, bowed face down, said, if I have found favor, don't pass by. They don't pass by. That's proof that he found favor. I'm your servant. Do you, how about some water to wash your feet? Here's a bread and morsel that will comfort your heart. Uh, and they say, do as you said. He hurries now and runs to Sarah. Make three cakes, fine meal, knead it. Goes and gets the best calf he's got. Gives it to a young man. What's the obvious question there? And brings butter and milk and they ask, where's Sarah? Okay, got all that? Following this, Abraham and Christ end up discussing what? After this, what happens next? Abraham and Christ discuss the destruction of Sodom. And that is called, in Scripture, a dramatic theodicy. Abraham talking to God. And God says, shall I hide this from Abraham, what I am doing? That tells you by dramatic theodicy, if you've never heard me use that term before, this is God explaining to you how the Godhead works. He's putting on, if you want to think of it this way, excuse me, uh, an example or a, um, a play. That's where the dramatic element comes in. He's showing you what is going on inside the Godhead in a way our finite minds can handle it. There is a conflict between the mercy of God and the the omnipotent mercy or the um, infinite love of God and the omnipotent justice or judgment of God, fairness of God. They have to settle that conflict, if you will. That's Genesis 15. That's the cup at uh, Gethsemane in Matthew 36. And that's also happening here in Genesis 18. So, shall I hide from Abraham the great wickedness of what and what I am about to do in Sodom. So that becomes very important. So now let's go ahead and read a little bit of 19. Let's compare it to Lot. So there's your list. Now the two angels come to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with the face toward, with his face towards the ground. So here we go. Lot saw them. He bowed, and his face is to the ground. So circle those on your list. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's heart and spend the night and wash your feet, then you may rise early and go your way. And they say, No. So far, almost looks the same, doesn't it? All the way to here. Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's heart, our servant's house, and spend the night and wash your feet. Need water for that. And then rise and leave. Which I would say to you, is coming is the same as if I have found favor. I think all of that, the first A through H, is identical. A little different, but identical. Does that make sense? That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's not. And they say it no. Wow. Why did they say no? And what does Lot do. Well, let's see. No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But Lot insisted strongly. So they turned to him and entered his house. How far away from the gate is his house? Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. So I have another feast going on here again. Sorry, I didn't put feast... And they ate. And now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people, every quarter surrounded the house. Okay? 
So, Lot and Abraham follow literally the same pattern. I have bread, but in this case, I notice I circled cakes and instead of bread. I'm making the, the unleavened bread becomes a very important piece of this mystery or this puzzle, if you will. So Lot insists strongly that they come into his house. They tell him no, and he, he is adamant that they go. I got two angels. They're in Sodom. Why are they there? Why does Lot think they're there? Does he know they're angels? Again, back to that question. He's at the gate. Why is he at the gate? He saw, he rose, he bowed his face to the ground. Lot says, please come to your servant's house. Wash your feet. They say, no. He says, you have to. And they do what? They give in, don't they? They relent. They turn and enter Lot's house. You've got to explain that. We've got to explain it. Why would they change their mind? Did they change their mind? There's a trick question. Did they change their mind? They did not. Why does it appear to us that they did? Lot makes a feast now. He bakes unleavened bread. That's the first mention in the Bible of unleavened bread. The second mention is Passover. So I'm going to have to put this and the Passover feast together. This looks like a Passover feast, except it's a cow and not a lamb. But we don't know. We have to discover what this is. And the question that is before us today that is the subject of great disagreement is not where is Sarah's where is Sarah your wife, but where is Lot's wife? That's the key to this entire discussion. And that's a question that is uh, a great disagreement today. And I submit that the two accounts have an amazing, intentional, similar pattern. That's why I wrote it on the board so that you could see it. The seeing, the bowing. What is bowing? When Lot bows to these two angels, what is he saying to them? Puts his face on the ground, just as Abraham does. What does that signify? What is he saying to them? He washes their feet. What is foot washing in that culture? What's the meaning of it? Unleavened bread cakes. There's a feast. So, let me repeat some questions and ask some others in between. I already said, was Lot sitting there purposely waiting for these two angels that he knew were coming? Was he expecting all three of them to come? Did he think God was coming? Two angels come. Was that the reason he was there? How would he know they were coming? He got a cell phone? Get a text? Did Abraham contact Lot? That's what I'm really asking there, right? My goofy way. Would it have been expected that Abraham would do so? What's the discussion Abraham just had with God about Sodom? The discussion was, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Who's in Sodom? Lot and his family. Would Abraham want to do everything he could? Look at that, look at that context of 18 Genesis and ask yourself, are we talking about Lot? Why is it that Sarah, as far as the text, what did of the meal, what did Sarah make? This speaks directly to Lot's, or to Rand's question from Illinois. What did Sarah make? If I, you're in a courtroom and I say to you, uh, jury, what is it that Sarah did in this feast? What's in the text? Did she prepare the calf? Did she bring the milk and the butter? Did she wash the feet? What did she do? The evidence is, is that she made three cakes. What are those cakes? 
So what is the purpose of the fine meal cakes? And now we go on to what is the purpose of the unleavened bread? Is the fine meal cakes and the unleavened bread the same? Or are they different? If Sarah made the three cakes, did Lot's wife make the unleavened bread? And if not, why not? I have, do I have two women breaking, uh, baking unleavened bread? <coughs> Where in the New Testament is a woman adding leaven to the bread, by the way? I have a parable all about that, don't I? How is this a comfort to God's heart? But here's, the, the, I think, the central question. Did the angels pass by Lot? If I have found favor, stay with me, Abraham says. The, he, Lot says to those angels, come into my house. They say no, but he argues with them, doesn't he? It says, in, it, let me read it again. Insisted strongly. I want you to imagine what he's doing here. What do I think he's going to do? What does my submission to you, my premise, I'm going to say that he is desperate. That this is panic. When they say no, he is panicked. He knows why they are there. Did the angels pass by Lot? They did not. Does that mean that Lot, Lot's wife, and those two daughters had found favor? He does. Now it's back to Lot's wife. Did Lot's wife know that two angels are coming? Would Lot's wife disrespect? Did she know that the angels were coming without Christ? Did she know the angels and Christ were together? Would she disrespect two angels that she knew were side by side with Creator God Himself? What are the chances of that? If Lot knew that these were incredibly powerful beings, by the way, which angels do you think they are? There's two of them. Who are they? If Lot knew these were incredibly powerful beings who had come with the Creator God Himself, Jesus Christ, does this explain now this mysterious Genesis 19.8? Because no one can ever seem to figure this out. And I think that all you have to do is realize that He knows who these people are. Not people, these persons are that are behind Him in His house. He walks out there in front of this crowd of people and he says, See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason that they have come here. What is the reason they have come here? They came because they're going to... This is the end of Sodom. That's the reason. And he says, listen, take my two daughters. No one has ever figured that out, unfortunately, that has gone to, to publishing. I'm going to make a claim to you that not today, but you're already thinking about it, I hope. I think the explanation of that statement that he made is because he knows who these two are behind him. He knows what they can do. He knows who they came with. He knows where that person is. And that means that he's going to say what he says. Question becomes again, did Lot know the reason the angels had come to Sodom? I think he did. In other words, was the primary reason Lot was at the gate that night is to intercept these two angels so that they would rise early and go on their way, Genesis 19.2. He doesn't want them to do something. He knows about the discussion that Abraham has with God himself, I submit. I think that's the context of <coughs> excuse me, Genesis 17 and 33. Shall I hide, uh, 17 through 33, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. God says to Abraham, I will not destroy Sodom for the sake of ten. By the way, did God destroy Sodom? 
So, he said he would not. God said he would not destroy Sodom for the sake of ten. Did he destroy Sodom? Yes. What's, what's, what's the consequence or the implication of that then? As you know, I believe Lot's and Lot's wife are in the ten. It is highly likely that Abraham sent word to Lot and his wife. Not just highly likely or likely. It's prohibitively likely. It's certain that he did. Did Abraham love Lot? Did Sarah know Lot's wife? Did Abraham know Lot's children? Did Abraham know how many there were? The discussion ends when it said, I will not destroy Sodom for the sake of ten. That's the end of the discussion. What's Abraham's motive? He got it down to ten. Or up to ten, whichever your perspective would be. Lot follows the pattern of Abraham in Genesis 18. That can't be a coincidence. It can't be just Middle Eastern tradition. I think it is knowingly and intentionally repeating Abraham and Sarah. That's what Lot's doing. Why is he doing it? Because it worked for Abraham. We're going to do the same thing. Abraham is in a hurry. I think it was obvious to Abraham immediately when he saw these three, he knew this is the end of Sodom. I am in a hurry. I have to buy some time. Did he have to buy some time? Think about the Godhead being represented. Abraham is in the role of the mercy of God, is he not? Christ is in the role of the judgment of God, just like he will be at the end of the tribulation. Point being is, is understand that this is not just a conversation between God and a man. It's a depiction of the internal working of the triune Godhead. You see, the question is, ultimately, how much time passes between Genesis 18 and Genesis 19? Do you think that as soon as that conversation was over, uh, the two angels came to Sodom? I'm suggesting to you that there was time. Why do I think there's time? Does Jesus Christ, being omniscient God, have any idea that Abraham would run the lot? He's omniscient God. Does he allow for time? Obviously he does. God waits. So I'm asking, how long did God wait between Genesis 18 and Genesis 19? Is there enough time for Abraham to inform Lot that Sodom is about to be destroyed? I believe absolutely. Abraham knew Sodom was on the brink of destruction. All he had to do was watch. Everybody knew everything there. As you know, God would not for the sake of ten. Keep in mind, four were taken by the hand of the angels and removed. How many or less? Are left. Six are remaining. Six is less than ten. I know I'm showing off my math skills there. Why would Lot and Lot's wife attempt to get the angels to pass by? Again, remember the angels said, no, we're not going to pass by. That changed everything right there. And Lot says, Come to my house. You gotta come to my house. Why did the angels have to come to Lot's house? Bunch of reasons, I think. Back to this question. For those of you on the internet, I circled the question, where is Lot's wife? Lot, I believe, is begging those angels to come into his house and wait. Is it reasonable to conclude that Lot's wife would not likewise bow to these angels? Clearly, she would. So where is Lot's wife? That's back to where is Sarah, by the way. Why did Sarah only make the cakes and stay in the tent? Do I have a relationship between Sarah and Lot's wife here? I believe I do. 
So where would have Lot's wife gone? After the six. The angels are effectively two witnesses coming prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Does that remind you of Revelation 11? Yes, it does. Two witnesses coming just before destruction. It is Christ himself who destroys Sodom. It is Christ himself who ends the tribulation. Just as in the book of Revelation. Does Lot's wife know the danger that is here for the six? Does she know that the six are in great eternal danger? I think she does, as you know. I've said this before. I believe she's acting accordingly and consistently. She is What she's doing here is the same as what she does later. As well, why didn't she cook the feast then? Well, Sarah didn't cook the feast either, did she? Neither one of them cooked the feast. So there goes the premise of Mr. Morris's uh, entire speculation. Sarah made three cakes and stayed in the tent where she does what? Read the story. You could do it while I move on with the sermon here. Holy mackerel, honey child. She laughs at God and she lies to God. Genesis 18.12 and 18.15. That's what she's doing in the tent. Does she get caught lying? Christ tells her to her face she's lying. How does he know? Oh my goodness. She's omniscient. He's omniscient God. Abraham washes their feet, brought them bread, brought the butter and milk. The young man has the calf. Sarah has three cakes. Christ does not say, remember Abraham's life. Christ does not say, remember Abraham's wife. He says, remember Lot's wife. For what? What are we remembering Lot's wife for? That's the great mystery of Lot's wife. Did Lot wash their feet? Did Lot bake the unleavened bread? Did Lot make the feast by himself? Ultimately, the question is this again. Where is Lot's wife? Well... Take a stab at that. Since I've completely ruined the entire sermon, I haven't even started the sermon yet. I'm still doing this. Why am I doing it? That's right. Because I got a present. <laughs> the first mention of Lot's wife is at Genesis 19.15. That's the first time she's mentioned. Fifteen verses after the feast, after the house attack, after the angel state that Sodom is going to be destroyed, after Lot is mocked by his son-in-laws. She is unmentioned, Lot's wife, until Genesis 19.15. She's not anywhere until that is all done. She shows up after all of that. Now she's mentioned. And she's taken by the hand by two angels of God. So where was Lot's wife? Why was she where she was? Had they purposely divided? Had they said, listen, I'm going to go to the gate. You've got to go for the six. Does that make sense? I submit that it does. I think it was purposeful, purposeful and planned out. It's a plan. One would be at the gate. One would be somewhere else. It's what they would do. They're desperate. They know the consequences here. Is Lot's wife to be remembered for returning to Sodom or for why she returned to Sodom? And why she wasn't at the house, which I think are the same. I submit that she was where she was for the same reason she would have made the decision to try to return as the bombing started, if you will. So, there you go. I hope that helps, Rand. I hope you've got a head start now. And if not, I can be bought, as you know. Probably going to hit it again in February the 14th. Okay, let's start the lecture. <laughs> I've got maybe six or seven minutes. I'm only slightly kidding about that. I mean, I've got, I've got two tablets worth that I'm not even going to come close to. Uh, I should at least do this so that you will know 
what I was thinking, and then you can do some of this in, in the interim. Oops. I just broke something that doesn't belong to me. That's good news. <laughs> no. Usually I break something of mine. I'll fix it later. That's our list, right? The fiery serpent, the bronze serpent, the bronze snake. I said last week that the bronze snake and the found sheep and the found coin and the found son have a relationship. At the end of last week's lecture 227, I rattled off about a half dozen questions. Why is the bronze serpent a symbol of Christ? Why did Hezekiah destroy the bronze serpent? Why did this, this bronze serpent... Uh, why was it even a bronze serpent? Why wasn't it a silver serpent or a gold serpent or a lead serpent? Make your own metal. Why did we pick bronze or brass, if you will? What's the meaning of lifted up or the complete me- meaning of it? God's definition of lifting up. Why is Esau connected to Lot? Because they both obeyed Esau and Lot on the way to uh, the bronze serpent, if you read the uh, numbers account. What is the relationship between the lifted up bronze serpent and the found sheep, the found coin, and the found son? Of Luke 15. That's just to remind you of the, some of the questions. Let me see if I can do any of this. Obviously, there is no hope of delving into any of those today, so give that up. But since I got five minutes here, having said that, lifting up has a direct correlation to the crucifixion, so we know that. Christ caused for himself to be placed on a pole directly over the buried skull of Goliath. That has something to do with lifting up. That ultimately is a Genesis 3.15 reference. The crushing the head of the seed of the serpent. We've got a hold on most of that. But that's barely the beginning of the mystery of the bronze serpent. John 3.14, as we previously noted, as Moses lifted up the servant, so must... So must Christ be lifted up. He must. It's not an option. He has to be lifted up. What does lifted up mean? So must be Christ. Clearly Christ is declaring Himself the only means of salvation. I am it. There is no salvation. I have to be the salvation. It must be that in order for there to be salvation. By the way, the first mention of the phrase lifted up is found in Genesis 13.10. Guess who it's said about? Lot. Lot lifted up his eyes. Of course, the ark of Noah was lifted, was lift up from the earth, Genesis 7.17. Floated upon the prevailing waters, the overwhelming waters. That's what prevailing means. The waters overwhelmed everything. And the law and the ark was on top. The waters overcame the earth but did not overcome Noah's ark. Obviously, we're going to investigate all things lifted up. Prayers are lifted up. Cries are lifted up. Eyes are lifted up. Hands are lifted up. Souls are lifted up. Voices are lifted up. All of that to solve the lifting up of the bronze serpent. That's just some of them. Lifted up has within it as well this resurrection to life symbolism. Sin and death are ended by the lifting up of Christ. Jesus must be lifted up to stop the curse of sin and death. Nothing else can do it. No one else is able. So the ark of Noah now is floated above the earth. Lifted up above the earth. Above the waters. Jesus Christ himself will be lifted up above the earth. That's what he's saying. Just as Moses lifted the bronze serpent above the earth. So, where does that take us? Why do I have two Bibles, you're saying? One's King James, which I always refer to every Sunday. The other one is mine, and the first few chapters are destroyed in it now, and I have to bring this. So where do I go when I want to talk about lifted up above? I will go to the first mention of the word above to solve this bronze serpent. So here we go. Genesis 1.6 And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Firmament means space or atmosphere or expanse or stretching out of thinness, whatever. Uh, you wish to uh, apply to it. But he's dividing the waters from the waters. 
So I got waters and waters and there's a division. God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. That's the first above. Christ will be lifted up above. Noah's Ark, which is a picture of Christ, is above the water. And God called the firmament heaven. So there is a big clue. And and the evening and morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters... By the way, Christ is lifted up to heaven. What does that make him? Makes him God. So there's more evidence of his deity. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering togethers of the water called the seas. And God saw it was good. Okay. So having just separated light from darkness, which is what he does prior to this, God now separates water from water. That's not a coincidence or a happenstance. It's done purposely. He's drawn. He's separating things out. Why does he separate waters from waters? What's the difference between these waters and this water? Obviously, this is a great debate over what all this means. And uh, we have to come to a conclusion in order to solve the mystery, if you will, of the symbol of the bronze serpent. and Not next week, because that's the high holy religious holiday, the Supar Baal, which no church can function, certainly not our size of one. So we will have to allow this to continue on the 14th of February. Let's do the traditional march of the musicians. I don't see any. Oh, I don't. Oh, I see two. Okay, we could all just stand up here. This will be great. While we wait for the two that are related to whom? Yes, that's right. Me, Dave. Try not to fall down. We have no insurance. He is blaspheming the march of the musicians. Could somebody please go get Eric and Lindsay? Tell them that we're done. That will shock them. Ah, here they come now. Hand off the baby. <laughs> Don't not put the baby over the crock pot. We might need some baby help over there. Thank you, Cindy. Here's where we all ceremoniously, with great reverence, rise to be dismissed.